0: Next on Contemplate.
1: Always keep in mind that when anything great for the kingdom is done, it's the power of God, not your power, that does it. You can be faithful to choose to follow Him, but only through His power is any of this stuff done.
0: As we continue our study of Acts chapter 11, we'll see the Jewish believers start to preach to the Gentiles, and what an important and pivotal thing that was. Here's Pastor David.
1: Let's move on. We've seen now that the church has come in uh, to accepting... Gentile believers. Now we kind of um, go into kind of a little another section here. Let's start in verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. All right. We studied the persecution and death of uh, Stephen some time ago. We know that what happened is he got killed and everybody ran. Right? They dispersed. And with them they brought the gospel. God used this scattering to bring the word to the rest of the world, which he said they would do if he witnesses him throughout the world. So they went to Phoenicia. So these guys, they're they're scattered out. They go as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And when I start naming cities, you know you're going to get a map. And so we got a map. And as you look there on the coast of the Mediterranean, you will see Phoenicia. Okay. Phoenicia starts about 75 miles northwest of Jerusalem. Um, at the southernmost point, and then it ends about 100 miles south of Antioch. You can see Antioch on the map um, at its northernmost point, okay? That's that whole stretch. It's one of the areas where they're going. Another area is Cyprus, that island that you see. Cyprus was there in the Mediterranean. It's also where Barnabas was from, okay? So they're they're going there, and then, of course, Antioch. And Antioch, we're going to hear a lot about, because Antioch is one of the major hubs of Christianity in the early world. Okay? This is a big city. This is a third largest city in the Roman Empire. Somewhere between 250,000 and 500,000 folks. Um, they estimate 30 to 50,000 of those were Jews, Jewish people. Uh, and this was uh, a, a big city. At that time, that was a very, very big city. And about five miles south, they had this sanctuary temple thing to Apollo. Um, not apollo creed that 's a different guy, but there was there was this uh, idol named Apollo, and they had this thing, and they would do these religious rites and these ecstatic uh, you know religious ceremonies and stuff and so it was very, very pagan in fact, Antioch was very, was known to be immoral, right so immoral that Those in Rome, which was not exactly Sunday school, right? Rome was a a pretty immoral place, if you know anything about history. Those in Rome were saying that the the, the Antioch was having a bad influence on Rome. That's how immoral Antioch was. These were pagans. Yeah, there were some Jewish people there, but most of them were Gentile, idol-worshiping pagans, and they were known for their immorality. Okay. So Antioch is kind of this really messed up places. Okay? And then we see that they've gone to these places, but right now they're only preaching to the Jews. Now look, look at the next verse. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyrene is in northern Africa. If you put the map back up, you'll see that. Uh, it's, it's just just directly south of Greece, but on the African continent, in northern Africa. And these guys are actually probably from Cyrenaica, which you can see on the map there, as opposed to uh, the actual city of Cyrene. But these guys were from this place, okay? Now, how do we get guys going out from Jerusalem from these places? Remember what we talked about earlier. There were all these people at Pentecost from all over that had come to Jerusalem for that, that feast, right? And they became Christians. I think a lot of them stayed there, and then when Stephen was killed, a lot of them went out. Well, they didn't go back to where they came from. They, they spread out and went to these other places, including Antioch. So that's where we see them. Okay? And it says, Who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. All right. So um, this is an interesting uh, part of Scripture where there's some different ideas about what the word Hellenist means. If you remember back, if, you, if you've been here long enough, we talked about Hellenistic Jews. Hellenistic Jews were Jews that were culturally Greek and spoke Greek versus what, we, what was described as Hebrews who were culturally Jewish and spoke Hebrew, right? And that we had both of these in, in Jerusalem. In fact, it was the Hellenistic Jews that were leading the charge to kill Stephen. Uh, but we have both of those. Now, here we see this word Hellenist. And so there's some question about, are we talking about Hellenistic Jews that they went to, or are we talking about Hellenists? In other words, Greeks culturally Greek, Greek speakers, pagans, Gentiles. Um, I think the weight of the evidence based on context here is that we are talking about Gentiles. It wouldn't have been that interesting to mention that they were speaking to Hellenistic Jews. We already have that going on, and in the context of what's going on here, where the Gentiles have come to the church, it makes sense to me, my interpretation, I think the weight of those who, who would fall on this would probably say, we're talking about Gentiles, which is a big deal, as I told you, that they're actually going out. It's one thing for for Cornelius to come to know the Lord. It's another thing for them to go out seeking after bringing Gentiles into the church. This marks a big uh, shift for the church from being a a Jewish-based church to being a church that's willing to go out and preach to the Gentiles. So here they are, and they're preaching, I think, to these Gentile folks trying to get them to believe in Jesus. And it says this, verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. You'll notice we're not using numbers anymore when people come to the Lord. It was 3,000 and then we're up to 5,000. And now it's just, look, a great number of people, right? Just all these people are coming to Jesus because these guys have witnessed the resurrection uh, and they're bringing this news of Jesus to these Gentiles. And they're turning to God. It says, the hand of the Lord was with them. And when we read Scripture and you see the term, the hand of the Lord, what it means is, this is the power of God. So, these guys were faithful and going, but it was God's power that was doing the work. It was God's power that was doing the work. That's very, very important. Okay, It was through the power of God that these people were turning to him. Always keep in mind that when anything great for the kingdom is done, it's the power of God, not your power, that does it. You can be faithful to choose to follow him, but only through his power is any of this stuff done. You can, it's so easy to rely on yourself, right? And I can do it. I can get it done. You know, In my timing, and I'll be in control and I'll get this thing done when I want to get it done. But that's not the pattern. It's not the way it works. You've got to rely on God's power. When you rely on your own power, does that work out well for you? Because it doesn't work out well for me. Whenever I'm in my own power, bad things happen. God never intended you to be self-reliant. Never intended you to be self-reliant. It's a lie if you've believed that you were supposed to be self-reliant. That's never been his intention. He's designed you to be in community with him and receiving your strength and power from him. Okay, Includes your job, your family life, what you do in ministry, all of these things. Okay, You want to be a good father, mother, husband, wife, worker, whatever. Your power has got to come from the Holy Spirit as a believer. C.S. Lewis talks about uh, a child going to his father and asking for a dollar so that he can buy him a birthday present. He uses some British thing like sixpence or whatever, but I'm going to use dollar because we understand that. He goes to his father and he says, hey, can I have a dollar so I can buy you a birthday present? And the father gives a dollar. He goes out and buys a birthday present and gives it to his father. Nobody thinks that the father is a dollar richer Because he now has gotten this gift from the child. Everybody understands that it was the father's dollar that got him the gift. The child didn't have a dollar. He had to get from the father. But no doubt the father is pleased and rejoices in the gift from his child, even though it's his own money, because he's rejoicing in the fact that his child desired to give him a gift. That's what it's like for us. That's what it's like for us in Christ, right? Lord, Give me the strength to go out and do your will. Give me the power and the strength and the ability and the wisdom to go out and do your will. Then he grants us the strength. He gives us the dollar, and we go do the work, right? We go do the work in his power. Couldn't do it without his power. That's what our relationship with him is like, our willingness and desire to honor him and him empowering us to do it. We don't ever do it in our own strength. Okay, so the hand of the Lord has accomplished these things. Let's look at verses 22 through 24. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, right? Not the work of these guys, the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So, Barnabas goes, he sees the work that's been done by the hand of God, and what does he do? He encourages those who are there bringing the word. Encouragement is so important. We have some great encouragers in this body, in this church. We have some great encouragers, and that is so important. Because even though it's God's power and all the rest of it, ministry is hard. I just told you how immoral Antioch was. It was a hard place to bring the gospel. Guess where else is a hard place? Right here. The Portland area is like a church planter's graveyard, okay? It's just known like that. Like, this is a place that people desperately want to get into with the gospel, and it's, they hit a brick wall. It's so difficult, so difficult to get people to come to Jesus here, all right? So difficult. So as we, as a church, our desire is to make the name of Jesus great here, to stir people's affections for Jesus Christ, to get them to know him, to be forgiven of their sins, to have life, right? Repentance unto life. That's what we want to see, but it's hard. And so we need encouragers. And Barnabas was a great encourager. And he goes and he says, hey, keep with it. Keep getting your strength from the Lord to do the work. Stay in the Lord. And the work will get done. And as he encouraged them, what happens? Church grows. We can continue to see growth because they have the energy, they have the strength because they had a great encourager. It says that he was good. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Now, why was he good and full of faith? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. This is important. Don't miss this. What are the fruits of the Spirit? We look in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Why did Barnabas have goodness? Why was he full of faith? Because he had the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Where was the power for these things? Was he good and and faithful by himself? No. These things were from the power of the Holy Spirit. Did he will to be good? Did he will to have faith? Absolutely. But he didn't have the power to do it. The Holy Spirit had to empower him to have that fruit. The fruit was the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we see that he's good and full of faith because he's full of the Holy Spirit. So let's see what what he does. Okay, so Barnabas uh, gets an idea, and this is what he does. It says, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So Barnabas is here. He sees what's going on, he sees the work, and he goes, I know who would be perfect for this. I'm going to go get Saul. Speaks Greek great arguer, knows the, the Jewish side, it's been called to the Gentiles, I'm going to go hunt this guy down. So he does. He goes and hunts hunts Saul down in Tarsus. He brings him back to Antioch to hang out there for a year, okay, and do their thing. We don't know exactly what the end of that year was because the those the dates on the early part of, of Paul's ministry, Saul, who becomes Paul's ministry, we're not positive on. We're really good from in the 40s through 62 AD. We're, the dates are a little, we don't know for sure on these other things, but but We know for a year they're there, right, discipling the new church, teaching people coming to the Lord, people being disciples, people growing in the Lord, okay? So um, we see that the Christians, that the the believers in Antioch are first called Christians there. Now, there's, uh, you know, Christians or followers of Christ uh, this was a name given to them by the people in Antioch. Not by, they didn't give it to themselves. They weren't like, what are we going to call our team? We've got to make shirts. We've got to have a name, and we'll call ourselves Christians, right? Not how it worked. What happened was they were given this name by the folks. Now, um, there's some uh, scholars who think that it was actually a put-down. It was a name used to make fun of them. And it's possible, there's some scriptural evidence that that might be true. It's also possible that it was just neutral and a way to differentiate the Christians from the Jews, from the worshipers of Apollo, from the worshipers of, and so on. That may have been all it was, but either way, they gave it to them. Eventually, sometime later, the church adopts this name for themselves, and now we use it to this day, all this time later, to refer to those who claim to follow Christ still to this day. So it was like a nickname that was given to them um, that eventually they adopted. So it worked out. Uh, Let's read the last four verses of the chapter, okay? 27 through 30. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So we meet Agabus the prophet. It's the first time we see him. We're actually going to see him again in chapter 21. Now we know that Luke knew Agabus. How do we know that Luke knew Agabus? Because in chapter 21, it's one of the we sections of Acts. In other words, where he starts talking in the first person about what's going on. So here, Luke is not around, but later on in Acts, there are sections of it where Luke was actually there himself, not just getting things from witnesses, but he himself was there. Agabus in the 21st chapter is a place where he was there, so we know we would have known him. He would have met him. So we know this guy, and he gives a prophecy here. He gives a prophecy in in chapter 21. Both of them come true. In this case, this famine, uh, it did happen. It did happen during Claudius' reign. Claudius was the emperor who ruled after Caligula okay? 41 AD, he started his rule of Rome. And uh, during that time, there was this famine. And it was particularly hard, we know, we can see by this, these guys had money to give, and the folks in Judea and Jerusalem needed it. Well, why was that? Because it hit that area very, very hard. Here's why. Uh, Caligula had, in 39, late in 39 AD, had said that he had ordered a statue of himself to be erected in the temple of Jerusalem. I don't know, you know if you've picked up on this yet through the teaching we've done, but they were not going to be big fans of that, okay? Uh, a Gentile reprobate ruler of Rome having his image erected as a statue in God's temple, this was not going over well with the Jewish people. So one of the things they did is said, we're not going to grow any crops. We'd rather die, we'd rather starve to death than have this thing happen. Well, Caligula died, but meanwhile, they didn't plant crops, and then the next year was a Sabbath year. For the Jews, every seventh year, they would let the ground lie fallow. They wouldn't plant any crops. So you had two years in a row. Meanwhile, a famine comes. and Egypt, the main grain-producing region for this area is producing way, way, way less grain, right? And so you have this kind of triple threat, and Judea and Jerusalem are in a major food shortage. And so we see as they have ability, we see the disciples gathering up money and sending it down to Jerusalem through Paul and Barnabas. And we'll get back to their story later on. Meanwhile, we just got through all of chapter 11. So yeah, yeah, a whole chapter. Now don't, don't think that won't mean that I won't do one verse next time because that may happen, but um, there's a lot going on here and we're out of time basically. But let me just give you something as quickly as I can. We see three people here. We see Peter, we see Barnabas, and we see Paul. They have something in common. They're all a hot mess in certain ways, right? Peter's the guy who denied Jesus three times. Peter's the guy who we saw in Galatians after being the one who first went and brought Gentiles into the kingdom through the power of God and saw all that, who later on is such a wuss that when these other guys come, he rejects, the Gentiles, and plays the hypocrite. We see Barnabas, who was a huge part of this ministry to the Gentiles, do the same thing. I mean, that's messed up. That's cold. You're like, hey, I'll eat with you. We're all good and whatever. And then these guys come and you're like, no, no, you're not good enough anymore. That's, that's messed up. These guys are messed up. Paul persecuted the church, which is bad, okay? Bad stuff. These guys all were failures in, in probably a lot more ways than just that. And yet, God worked mightily, powerfully through them, and great things were done, so much so that we're reading about them today, that we've taken time out of our Sunday to come and learn about what happened through these guys. Here's what that says. If you'll let God be the power, if you'll let God be the strength, he can do amazing things through you, and no matter what you've done or where you've come from, he can use you. No matter how bad things have been, no matter matter what's happened, no matter what things, no, no, no. You don't know what my life looked like. Nonsense. Paul was out to kill everyone in the church, okay? And God used him in amazing ways. Let me just explain something to you. The extent to which you will be successful in accomplishing the things that God has for you will be directly related to the extent to which you will look to him for your strength. One is the other. That's how it works. If anyone, there's a lot of guys that will go around, you can pay $19.99 and they'll send you their video or whatever where they'll tell you that inside of you is this untapped power and you can do it all. There's nothing you can't accomplish. You can take on the world. You're the best. It's a lie. It's a lie. It was never the way you were designed. It's not in you. You were designed to be in relationship with God. The power that makes you effective and successful is the power of the Holy Spirit. Period. It's the way you were designed. We've talked about this. This vertical relationship is everything. You and God. If you're wondering why am why do I have all the you know why do I feel here what because you will because you were never made that way. You were always made to be in relationship with God in this vertical relationship where you are the child asking for the dollar, and God is the one giving you the power. And then as he gives you the power, the strength, the wisdom, right, the perseverance, then all those other relationships, your family, the church, your work, your friends, all of that, all of that is affected directly by how much you let God empower you. If you're running around thinking you can do it by yourself, You are bound to fail because you're using the wrong fuel. You're just using the wrong fuel. It'd be like going out to your car and putting water in it or sugar in it or something. I don't know. It doesn't work. It won't work. The only way to be effective is the way that we've seen these guys be effective, even though they were failures in many ways, just like I am and probably even some of you are, right? God will use you, not even just can, promises he will strengthen you. When Paul has a thorn in the flesh, God says, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. I will give you what you need. And my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's in our weakness that his strength is made. It's in recognizing that we need him. It's in recognizing that we need his power, that we get ourselves in the right headspace and the right heart space to be effective. So do not put it on yourself. Do not put it on yourself. Relax a little bit. Work hard, but relax in your heart and in your mind about what God demands of you. He demands nothing of you that He won't give you the strength to do. Rely on Him. Rely on Him. Rely on His strength. And you will have the strength to do whatever He has for you. And that's my prayer for all of us.
0: It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. And as we get out of the way and trust in His strength, amazing things will happen. And if you'd like more of this kind of practical Bible-based teaching in your own life, come see us at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington this Sunday morning. You can get easy directions or check us out online at axechurchnw.org, Or give us a call at 360 360- 885 Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll be here next time for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.